Section 3. It seems to us that there is only one answer to this question. We must recognize and loudly proclaim that everyone, whatever his grade in the old society, whether strong or weak, capable or incapable, has, before everything, the right to live, and that society is bound to share among all, without exception, the means of existence it has at its disposal. We must acknowledge this and proclaim it aloud and act upon it. Affairs must be managed in such a way that from the first day of the revolution, the worker shall know that a new era is opening before him, that henceforward none need to crouch under the bridges while palaces are hard by, none need fast in the midst of plenty, none need perish with cold near shops full of furs, that all is for all, in practice as well as in theory, that at last, for the first time in history, a revolution has been accomplished which considers the needs of the people before schooling them in their duties. This cannot be brought about by the Acts of Parliament, but only by taking immediate and effective possession of all that is necessary to ensure the well-being of all. This is the only really scientific way of going to work, the only way which can be understood and desired by the mass of the people. We must take possession, in the name of the people, of the granaries, the shops full of clothing and the dwelling houses. Nothing must be wasted. We must organize without delay a way to feed the hungry, to satisfy all wants, to meet all needs, to produce not for the special benefit of this one or that one, but so as to ensure to society as a whole its life and further development. Enough of ambitious words like the right to work, with which the people were misled in 1848, and which are still resorted to with the hope of misleading them. Let us have the courage to recognize that well-being for all, henceforward possible, must be realized. When the workers claimed the right to work in 1848, national and municipal workshops were organized, and workmen were sent to drudge there at the rate of one shilling eight pence a day. When they asked the organization of labor, the reply was, Patience, friends, the government will see to it. Meantime, here is your one shilling eight pence. Rest now, brave toiler, after your lifelong struggle for food. And in the meantime, the cannons were overhauled, the reserves called out, and the workers themselves disorganized by the many methods well known to the middle classes, till one fine day in June 1848, four months after the overthrow of the previous government, they were told to go and colonize Africa or be shot down. Very different will be the result of the workers' claim to the right to well-being. In claiming that right, they claim the right to take possession of the wealth of the community, to take houses to dwell in according to the needs of each family, to socialize the stores of food and learn the meaning of plenty after having known famine too well. They proclaim their rights to all social wealth, fruit of the labor of past and present generations, and learn by its means to enjoy those higher pleasures of art and science which have too long been monopolized by the rich. And while asserting their right to live in comfort, they assert what is still more important their right to decide for themselves what this comfort shall be, what must be produced to ensure it, and what discarded as no longer of value. The right to well-being means the possibility of living like human beings and of bringing up children to be members of a society better than ours, whilst the right to work only means the right to be always a wage slave, a drudge, ruled over and exploited by the middle class of the future. The right to well-being is the social revolution, the right to work means nothing but the treadmill of commercialism. It is high time for the worker to assert his right to the common inheritance and to enter in possession of it.